for me, a rhythm where I know that I'm productive. I have written in front of me what I need to do, not just like I'm going to do marketing, but the outcome for that hour uh, that I'm trying to achieve. I'm very much a, a win or lose kind of person. So at the end of the day, I, I look at it and I tally up my wins. And it's like, did I win or did I lose today? And if I really win more days than I lose, then I know that the businesses are moving forward. This is Super Fast Business with James Schramko. James Helping you build your business super fast. James Tramco here. Welcome back to superfastbusiness.com. This is episode 680. And we're going to be talking about how to build resilience to move through obstacles. And for that, I've brought along an expert in this subject matter, Travis Jones, or as his friends call him, TJ from rbtgyms.com. Welcome, Travis. Thanks for having me today. I'm really excited to be on the podcast. My goal by the end of this podcast is that I'll be able to call you TJ. We'll be friends. Looking forward to it. You've got an interesting story because you have had some significant business success and I can't help but feel that the philosophies you've been teaching people in the fitness arena have also flowed across into your life and into business. Would you agree with that statement? I completely agree. I think um, anything that comes from sporting to fitness definitely comes across into business. Right. So let's talk about the journey because at the higher level of people who I'm coaching, one of the most stated goals, and to put that in perspective, they're already making somewhere over $500,000 a year in profit and generally a couple of million dollars a year. And they have a small team and, and an existing business that already has an offer that's converting well. And they're having some scaling challenges. But the number one stated goal is they want to make $10 million a year. And you've achieved that goal of $10 million a year in revenue. And I just want to get your feedback having already achieved that. And uh, for perspective, this is in a predominantly an offline business in the gymnasium market, which we'll talk about more. How did that change things for you when you reached it? And was it a milestone for you as well, just like it is for many of the people I speak to? To be honest, I think I was constantly chasing goals. And you know, when I had one gym, I wanted four and four, I wanted eight, and then I wanted 12 and 20. I think the $10 million goal for me wasn't really a goal because I, I think as entrepreneurs, we keep shifting the goalposts, which sometimes leads to unfulfillment and we kind of feel a bit lost. So for me, it was more so I have a goal of 10,000 members in our gyms and you know we're a, higher, a little bit higher price gym. So 10,000 members is about 50 million. And I sort of had to shift it to more process-oriented goals rather than this outcome-oriented goal and being more uh, happy with the journey rather than the outcome. I think that was the biggest thing I was focused on. Right. So you got to your goal and then you think, oh, okay, I've got another goal and it moves. I think Dan Sullivan calls that the horizon <laughs> where yeah, it does. you're always looking off into the distance. And it's definitely been a subject that we've talked about a lot on this particular podcast. I've had guests who have made it all, done it all, even in one case got paid out over $100 million for the sale of a company. And he still didn't quite feel like he'd been satisfied not that he didn't reach it, but it just didn't fill the gap that he thought he would when he had all this money, probably much like a lotto winner who ends up not having all that money a few years later, like factually speaking. So I think there has to be a, a mindset status that's adjusted. So how will you know when you've reached enough? Like, for example, why 10,000 members? Like, is that a number you pluck out of the air or is there some market share you're looking for or or is it linked to anything in particular? Um, I think for us, like I would like to let go of the business in about six, you know, five, six years. Uh, 10,000 members gives us a great benchmark as far as, you know, selling the company. And I know that we'll be close to 50 gyms at that point. 
and I'll have to either shift and go, you know, I'm going to go all in international or I'll let go of the company in Australia. I think that's why the 10,000 member mark is really there for me. I think for me, when I had to shift from being unfulfilled, it was looking at more so like what success actually meant to me. And success, I, I sort of pivoted away from end monetary goal, whereas money is great. I think it was more success. I had to build around the lifestyle I was living, the family I had and enjoying um, my business rather than just working towards this end goal that um, I think if anyone's ever achieved a goal, the moment that you achieve the goal feels great. And then, you know, just minutes afterwards, you're like, oh, was that it? So I think if I had to really shift what success meant, so I then could feel happy on the journey more so. Early on in your career, you had a sort of sporty background and you were participating at an elite sporting level in uh, rugby league as a teenager. And then you had a health issue and you had to stop that professional career. Do you think your desire to reach a certain point with your current business is you repeating that cycle where you feel like it could end and you need to make sure that you bank out of it okay? Oh, it honestly could be. Like, I think for me, I think every industry has a point where, you know, you want to get in before the crash. I think the fitness industry isn't going to crash, you know, anytime soon, but is definitely going to have a point where people are going to start taking pills and not going to start moving. I think there's always room for experience. Uh, but I've been in the industry for like 16 years now. I think after that sort of 20, 22 years into the industry, you know, and focusing, you know, with RBT for the last eight years, I think it will be just the next challenge for me. And I'm constantly trying to find the next challenge. Like having meningococcal and, you know, I, f- I flatlined a couple of times, you know, and you think your life is over. And after coming out of hospital and losing my career, I think it's, it's more so it's understanding that every single day that you live is precious. So, you know, for me, it's it's doing everything I can and putting everything into RBT and to get it to the point where I believe I want to take it and then sort of, you know, letting it go to someone else. Nice. In Australia, of course, RBT is well known for being random breath testing. (laughs) And was that on your mind when you developed this name? Were you involved in the naming of the business? (laughs) To be honest, I actually didn't even think about it back in the day. It was result-based training. And I was, I didn't put two and two together. And however, though, I do get a lot of um, screen captures of, you know, like Foxtel and things like that saying RBTs on TV. And I was like, no, it's just random breath testing. <laughs> well, I had a funny thing with uh, Superfast Business. A large English telco started a little regional division and started springing up calling themselves Superfast Business. And every time I went to London – and people found out that I was from super fast business. They would look at me like I'm working for BHP or some massive corporation. It was kind of a mistaken identity. And gladly, I've been able to squeeze them out of the market now and uh, back to owning my own brand. I don't think you'll ever own RBT no. in the mind of an Australian. But I am interested, you know, when you were faced with this adversity and you decided to have your own business, what were the steps that you went through? Because I know quite a few people listening to this are yet to or just in the process of those early stages of having a business. And it would be interesting to know what some of the steps you took were to go from zero to that $10 million a year revenue. Um, I think one of the biggest things to start with, I was just, you know, I was a, a personal trainer or a subcontractor inside a large, you know, franchise-based business. And I was just 
a franchisee doing my own thing and I wanted to help more people. I thought I had more potential than I was currently giving to the world. And I think, you know, you ask yourself, can I give more? And I did. But the problem is I had no capital. I was one of those people that really never saved any cash whatsoever. I did, however, write some form of a business plan, the only one I've actually ever written, and tried to sit down with 50 people. I got to actually the 51st person. They all said no, that they're not going to give me the 25000 that I wanted for 4% of this imaginary company that I, I tried to tell them it was going to be great. And the next person, they said yes. And I got $25,000. And you know that first 25K gave me the ability to you know get the lease, the, you know, the start the business. And you know I, I couldn't really afford to get into the gym and my house. So I had to you know move into that first gym. And I think the biggest thing is, it's like you go all chips in. You know, I sold my car to get the money for you know some equipment and you know some of the bond. And if you are starting a business, I think it is, it's going... I'm going to go all chips in on this because I'm going to make it work no matter what. Right. So I've used a metaphor before of like Tarzan swinging from one vine to another. You didn't really have the opportunity to keep hanging on to the old vine while you were looking for the new one because you had your sickness and you're out. It's not going to happen anymore. Like that vine broke. <laughs> you were flying through the air hoping you could grab something. I, I used to work with Mercedes-Benz and some of my wealthiest customers taught me uh, that at some point you're going to have to eat beans, like literally eat beans out of a tin or you know, crawl over broken glass to get to the other side. There will be a transition phase of difficulty in most people, and it even plays out on the big screen, of course, with the hero's journey storyline. We expect that there's going to be a difficult phase that we're going to grow from, and it looks like this is what happened to you. How do you protect yourself from getting too comfortable and content and complacent in your business now when you do have things going well and you've got money flowing in, you know what you're doing, you've got good reputation, you have your gyms running like an actual business. Obviously, you can't personally service all the clients in all of your gyms, so you must have a team and structure. How do you protect yourself from getting too comfy? Um, I think for me, um, it's really having a great team and having to set that vision. Like, um, you know, what John Maxwell says, right? You have to have that whole law of navigation. So they need to know where we're going and they need to have a big enough vision that provides them hope and, you know, it gets them to want to grow within the company as well. So I think actually outlining a vision for them, having that be a hag that they're inspiring to achieve. And that obviously keeps me in line and with us having great working rhythms to make sure we're on top of that so it's looking at the whole daily huddles that you know we do it at 10 21 every single day and having our weekly management meetings and making sure that the different regional managers are doing the same thing for them and the business is more of a humming nature moving towards this large goal together because everyone understands their place in the business and it's not really my goal anymore it's the company's goal and it's their goal right so just unpacking that you've sort of covered the north star principle you mentioned BHAG, just to interpret that for the audience, it's big, hairy, audacious goal. <laughs> and then you, you talk about the daily huddle. I'm sure someone's going to ask, what do you actually do in your daily huddle? How long does it last and what's the framework you use? Yeah, so for us, like scaling up or anything like that, we'll say that, um, talk about daily huddle. When we're looking at this, it's for us, it's a 10-21 every single day for the management team, like the regional managers and myself. And we start on like, what was your win for the last 24 hours? And then we'll go through essentially what the critical numbers are. So for us, we have five critical numbers in the business, looking at cancellations, looking at memberships growing, looking at suspensions, looking at arrears, anything like that. And then after we go through those critical numbers, if anything's alarming, I'll tell the guys, let's take it offline after the call and have a bit of an in-depth conversation. 
move from that into any obstacles anyone's facing that we can quickly overcome. And past that, we'll look at their daily focus. So the call lasts normally between like nine to 11 minutes and we cover wins, numbers, obstacles, focus, sort of have a snapshot where I can talk to my regionals who look after every single gym and then have a call with them individually if I need to help them overcome any specific roadblocks. Right. So that's really effective, especially when you've got a lot of people. How many people would you have in the business now under your command? About 80 in that business. Right. Yeah, it's almost exactly what I had uh, running a Mercedes dealership. Now, online, uh, we have a very similar thing, actually. we Our critical snapshot of numbers comes through every single day and is shared with the team in our Slack, which is virtually our online office. And we share win, challenge, and one thing, which is pretty much win, obstacles, and focus. So that framework I know to be very effective. It's the same one I use it for high-level coaching students. And I can see how that's moving the business forward. At some point, you decided you're going to branch out. So acquiring all these gyms and growing them and rolling out the system was the foundation or the start of that building. You've also added other elements. You started coaching other businesses and also you've gone into the software as a service division. I'd love to know what were the triggers for those decisions? To be honest, mate, this is probably a bit of a crazy one, the coaching business. And it, like, I got about two years into opening an RBT. It was going well and, and people reaching out to me saying, can you help me grow my business? And I really sort of held off a bit. And my first gym was six doors down from a bikey hangout. And, um, you know, there was always people around the streets and all the rest of it. And it was pretty crazy. Um, so growing the gyms was actually like some devious people down the street. So if you think, see, ever watch like Sons of Anarchy, that's the kind of thing that was on our street where I opened up this gym. And they'd been there for two years and clearly someone wanted some money. And they said, I need $20,000 off you over the next seven days for looking after you for the last two years or I'm going to kill you. And these guys weren't to mess around with. Um, and I was like, I don't have $20,000 right now. What am I going to do? Well, what I actually did was I'm going to, I'm going to start coaching. I'm going to create this eight-week online coaching program. I'm going to charge $8,000. It's going to be a $1,000 deposit. I'm going to guarantee I make them $16,000 back in eight weeks, um, or I would double their money back. So I was trying to give them an amazing risk reversal. And you know, It was back in the day when Facebook ads had started and leads were two cents, and I was crushing life. Um, so I knew I could do it. And literally over the next, I put this great offer out to the marketplace. And within that next seven days, I went past 20 sales. It was crazy. I went past 20 sales, got 20K revenue in. I paid them this money. And it was literally like this gun to your head scenario that spiraled this coaching business. And from there, we had a hundred signups into this 8K program. And after that eight week program, we ended up going this mastermind that was about 35 to $50,000 a year, depends on what type of business you want. And I had 40 people on that. I grew this like $2 million business in about 16 weeks because of this process. Well, you know, it's a common technique that copywriters use. They use a gun to the head metaphor for what would you write if you had a gun to your head and you had the literal situation. I remember actually I used to debt collect at one point for General Motors and I was repossessing a lot of cars, Holden cars around Sydney and I was down in the southwest of Sydney one night, very late in uh, Kashula and uh, my customer, he'd been to the Vietnam War he came back, he shot somebody, he then got released and then he was in bank robberies and then he got released and then now I was repossessing his car and he's getting super agitated as the tow truck driver was trying to start it and it kept stalling. 
And uh, he looked across from the couch and he said, if I didn't have a baby right now, I would shoot you. I just want you to know that. <laughs> and I thought, I really got to get a different job. <laughs> Most it's funny how these things shape you. It, it could be quite traumatic or it can be uh, sort of fire in the belly to harden you up. And uh, it kind of makes ordinary situations seem super mild, you know, by contrast, right? So I imagine anything that's happened to you in business since then is not quite as bad as that situation. Yeah, I think there's these like sort of points in business in life. Like, I mean, in Chicago, when I was, you know, dying was one, this sort of next point was another. And I, I made like this money that I'd never thought. And over the next eight weeks, I did like $100,000 in a day. And I was like, of sales, not cash in bank, but of sales. And I was like, this is crazy. Like, it truly opened my my eyes to what was possible and from there it's like okay cool like let's now open up more gyms and you know from then people started asking me about doing their marketing for them and we started an agency and the gyms kept opening and the agency grew and their coaching keeps going and I think truly you know we don't know what we're capable of in business or really in life until we are sort of pushed to our limits. And then you went into software. Yeah. So is that because it was a need that all your gyms had that you were solving your own problem and then other people want it too? Uh, most definitely. Like I think for us, you know, it has a couple of points inside this software. Um, I think a year and a half into RBT, I sort of went online for a little bit and started this, you know, transforming 28. And I really didn't know much about online marketing then. I knew a little bit about trying to get affiliates and I was trying to, it was pretty crazy. I was like using member 360 and, um, Infusionsoft and I was making like WordPress sites uh, and with like optimized press plugins. It was, it's pretty crazy back then. And back then I created this program it was 28 days and it went into a, like a rolling 28 day program. And I started it with a Facebook group for free for a hundred people. And then after that, I got them to pay me whatever they thought. And then they get it for the next month for free if they bring in a person. And then I started going, oh, maybe I'll get gyms in on this. And I ended up with 32 gyms in on this. And I gave them a percentage of the monthly fee. And within five months, we had you know 5,000 members. And it was only 10 bucks a month, but we we're doing $50,000 of revenue. I never even paid a, a cent on marketing. And it was going great for about a year. And I was with an ex-business part at that time. And we sort of broke up as business partners. So I sort of shut down that business. But always wanted to go back into the online space in sort of that regard. But instead of going, you know, B to C, like that business to consumer, I wanted to go into a, like more of a, a B to B space, which is why we sort of build this software where we can help coaches then help more people. And then we'll end up shifting into a B to C space in about a year when we have more data around it. But it's growing at where, you know, we can get them on board. We can help them with their coaching, with their members, with their experience, with their results and give them every single data point that they need. And this is why we want to create because I wanted this as well. I wish I had this. And we're just at a point that we were had the ability to create ourselves. And then from there, we're rolling out the affiliate program where they can start obviously making money by getting their friends on board as well. And that's just starting out. It's going great. And we haven't had to spend a cent on marketing as yet. Yeah, that's fantastic. It's amazing how many parallels we have from being sick to being threatened to being involved with Optimized Press. Here's a funny backstory. I remember this little kid on the Warrior Forum years and years ago selling templates. And one of my clients who'd bought Excite Pro, which I was promoting as an affiliate, bought some templates and he wanted me to make them work in Excite Pro. So I got in touch with this kid called James Dyson and asked him, is it okay if I convert these to Excite Pro? And he said, sure. And I said, how about we sell them together and we'll split the profits? And he said, yeah, that's cool. And then I said to him, you know, you've got these great designs. You should put them inside a web tool so that people can just select the things. And that's how we pretty much came up with Optimize Press. That's great. And then uh, 
James Dyson was my first million-dollar student online, and in just two months from now, him and I will be floating around the Maldives doing a surf trip together. So we've stayed in touch the whole time. But then I think it's really good to keep refining tools around your own needs. So I've recently been developing this software called 10X Pro with a friend of mine, John Lint, and it's really solving a lot of the problems for people who want to have memberships and courses and funnels and all of that sort of stuff. So I can see how you've, you've ended up with doing a service, having your own business, doing the software. I imagine there's probably potential for affiliate stuff and there'd be an endless train of people who would want you to help them uh, if you would agree to it. So I'm wondering if you have a filter for deciding how to spend your time on each part of your portfolio. Yeah, it's a tough one. I do, to be honest. Like I, I sort of spend my mornings uh, for the first you know, four hours of when I start work on purely RBT. And then I sort of shift gears. And when I say RBT, I start with, you know, reading, then I start with content creation and I have my huddles and I go into any meetings that I need to have. And then from there, I'll go into essentially the next business a couple of days a week, which the software as a service, which is Keystone. I don't need to spend a lot of time on that. I'm, I'm not a you know, a developer or anything of that nature, but we look at how we're going with this. Is it on track? Um, what features are looking great? How is the marketing? I'll sort of look at the marketing side of the things and we'll do that two times a week. I'll spend one day of the week in, in the agency talking to the guys how we're going with that. And, you know, my afternoon is, is a lot on the coaching aspect and it's really trying to leverage as much as possible. So I, I don't really do too much one on one coaching now. It's more sort of like leverage into group formats. And I'll spend the afternoon doing an hour or, or so in, you know, content creation around that. And I think that's how I enjoy my day to be broken up. It keeps me, you know, shifting through gears and I get to finish my day with content creation, which I enjoy. And I get to start my day with the learning and then into meetings because they're probably the things I actually put off more than anything else. So I sort of hold that eat that frog thing, I guess. So in terms of resilience, do you find having this routine and structure is what overcomes the resistance? To be honest, for me, I think I was a personal trainer for so many years and, you know, you literally have to block out 15 minutes for me to go and go to the bathroom. My first year in business after being just the PT and starting my gym, I resented to having a schedule. I literally resented it. I refused to do anything that was scheduled. I just did anything at whatever time I wanted. But I, what I realized is I was just lost. And for me, truly to be productive, I go well with a, a physical journal or a physical diary. And then I, I just block it out from like 5 a.m. to, you know, 7 p.m. at night. But the 5 a.m. is when I wake up, I'll go train, I'll spend time with my kids and I'll be there until like nine in the morning and then I'll go to crash and that's when my day starts and I have my hours blocked in my 90 minute meridian so I can sort of focus 90 minutes at a time you know I have my times where I can go for a walk and make sure I'm not just sitting on my butt in front of my computer all day and it has the times where I definitely switch off and I go home and I, and I be with my family I think for me a rhythm where I know that I'm productive I have written in front of me what I need to do not just like I'm going to do marketing but the outcome for that hour uh, that I'm trying to achieve. I'm very much a, a win or lose kind of person. So at the end of the day, I, I look at it and I tally up my wins. And it's like, did I win or did I lose today? And if I really win more days than I lose, then I know that the businesses are moving forward. Interesting. Yeah. I was like you, actually. I didn't want structure when I quit my job. I thought freedom was being able to do what I want, when I want, how I want. The reality, of course, is everyone just dives in and starts pulling you apart unless you partitioned it off. So 
I've put a ring fence around three days a week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, the days I'm prepared to do external activities. And then uh, that gives me Fridays and Mondays and the weekends off. But it took a while to get to that point. But I think having that solid routine is how you actually develop freedom. Because by default, all the time that's outside your scheduler is yours. And you can do whatever you want with it. And it sounds like you've got kids as well. Yeah, I've got two little ones. And so do you actually measure your effective hourly rate? Do you ever have a look at your profit and divide it by the number of hours you work to get that and use that as a fine-tuning device? Um, To be honest, I did for a while with the one business. And so now, essentially, when I move across the multiple businesses, I know what my, I guess, you know, we talk about genius tasks are. And that's, you know, the leadership style, leadership, leading people and helping them understand that tomorrow is better than today, giving them hope, getting buy-in, showing them the future and also developing them. So now I, I just sit with my wage across the businesses. I don't really look at what my hourly rate is anymore, but... I definitely did with when we just had RBT. And do you still find time for your own personal fitness? I do. I wake up at, you know, for me, I, I get to, like you train at the South Melbourne gym, I sort of get there just after 4.30 in the morning and I'll, you know, I'll train for by myself before anyone gets in there. I like to sort of have my alone time. I actually train with like no music whatsoever and I'll train, I'll have my alone time and then I, I sort of get out before anyone gets in just so I can have a nice peace and quietness every single day. Do you go to bed early? Um, I do. I normally to bed i sort of put a hard rule on 10 p.m but you know 9 30 is my general time i'll try and get to sleep up yeah that makes sense it's a recurring topic on this podcast we love our sleep <laughs> if, you, if you're going to get up early you probably want to go to bed early it sounds like it's working for you have you noticed yourself changing as you get older um most definitely um, I think especially after kids. I think for me, you know, in my 20s, I was so significance driven. You know, I got some money. I started buying some watches. I started trying to, I, I bought a nice car. Uh, and, you know, having all the significance to try and prove that I was successful or whatever the definition of success is these days. And then I sort of shifted out of that. And I was trying to understand stand for myself like why am i trying to seek validation from society when success is really enjoying what you're doing and being the right type of character and this is my definition of success and being the right person for my partner and my family and as i grew you know patience must grow with young children which gives you the ability to have more patience inside your business you start to understand you know how to choose the correct emotions on a moment-to-moment level which allows you to make better conscious decisions and i think for me that's resilience, right? Like it's the, the capacity to uh, recover quickly. And I think if we can all have a punch in your face, you know, scenario, as Mike Tyson was said, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. But it's like, what emotions do you then choose? And then what actions do you choose from those emotions, which is going to change the outcome that you're going to get out of your day? You're one of the first people who actually use the word that I would use to describe what you were going through, that search for significance. I once actually purchased the domain significant.com on auction with GoDaddy. And I remember I was out in the city. It was at night. I pulled out my laptop. It was very late. It was on a US schedule and I purchased it and won it. And then like a week later, I still hadn't been transferred the domain and I chased it up and then they pulled the rug from me. They said, sorry, we weren't supposed to sell it. It wasn't supposed to be in the auction. The owner had renewed it. So you're not getting it. (laughs) I was pretty beaten up about it because I think that would be a a great one word domain and I got it for a great auction price as well. That's correct. So uh, it's a funny thing. Now, you work with your wife in your business. I do indeed. Uh, So I imagine using all the emotional resilience skills possible 
possible from time to time. Do you get on really well? Does she keep you honest in certain areas? I've often found you can have a complementary force in that regard. Yeah, most definitely. I think like Liv, my wife, she is definitely my rock. I am the, at times, the bipolar, I guess, uh, you know, entrepreneur, which I have, you know, 7,000 emotions in a day, which I've learned to control over the years. But, you know, I'm very on the risk uh, side of things. And, you know, she is very much keeps me level headed and, and focused on what we're trying to do right now. She is amazing at client fulfillment. She's so fantastic at copywriting. And, you know, she really brings a different aspect that I can't even bring to the company. And I think for her, I was very fortunate that her dad was very entrepreneurial and had a very successful business. So she grew up inside that environment. I think if you're married to an entrepreneur and, you know, you aren't ready for it, I think the relationship can be tough. But I think if you find the right person and they're ready for rocky road and sometimes the uncertainty that is life, I think the relationship can be amazing. Terrific advice. So what would you advise someone who's listening to this and they're sort of midway through that journey? What things would you advise them to look out for or to get into earlier than what you did? I think what some of the biggest things is my downfalls for me personally is I trust every single person. Um, and I don't really do much fact check. I'm like, oh, that sounds like a good idea. You sound like a good guy. Let's do it together. So I guess, you know, it is sometimes making sure you do dig a little bit deeper before you dive in to anything. And, you know, I've sort of been burnt with businesses in the past along the way with that. So it is definitely a big thing for us to do. But also, I would say that anyone just needs to start to, like we talked about before, start to get in better habits of understanding what it is to win and what is it to lose. And, you know, your bank account isn't winning and, and your bank account isn't losing. Like that doesn't define you because if I took your business off you tomorrow, then who really are you? And more so identify with yourself. You can be an achiever or you can be whatever it is you need to be. I think for me, that's why I really like having these process-oriented daily wins. And, you know, for me, having a daily win that's outside of business. And I think that really sort of rounds me personally out as a person and what I was going for. So I think it's not defining everything in your business. It's having daily wins. And that will lead to more fulfillment on a daily basis, which will give you a better state. So you're going to be able to manage your state better, which will allow you to focus better on your business. Well, Travis, I can see how you've been successful. You have a really tremendous attitude and you just come across as a really decent person. I've never met you before or spoken to you prior to this call. And I feel like I've really got to know you a lot better. And to share that journey with us is very generous because you've put your body on the line. You've learned the lessons. You've got some interesting tales to tell. And and you're seeing success in multiple areas of life and business. And uh, it sounds like a great environment for your own kids to be coming up now in that environment and to be prepared for the future. Because there's one thing that they say good leaders need and kids need especially, and that is resilience. So it's been such a pleasure to chat with you. And I hope people will go and look you up. I'm sure you'll be a great option for them if they're in your geographical location. RBTGyms.com would be a good starting point. Most definitely. Well, thank you so much. Appreciate being on here today, James. It was a pleasure. Discover how to build your business super fast. Check out superfastbusiness.com. Thank you.